0: In today's episode of the Locked On Pistons podcast, we're joined by Brendan Clean of Locked On Sons to talk with us about Monty Williams and how he can impact the Detroit Pistons this season and moving forward. Stay tuned for all of that in today's episode of the Locked On Pistons podcast.
1: You are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: So, what's the deal? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On Pistons Podcast. Per usual, I am your host, Kuka Hill. You can find me over on Twitter at Kookahill. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. if you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons, hit that subscribe button, or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. And today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat up to 50 plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. So on today's episode, we're going to be joined by Brendan. He is the host of Locked on Sons. You can follow him on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Brendan, thank you for hopping on the podcast real quick with me. Um, Should be a fun episode and talking about a guy that you have grown to be obviously pretty familiar with um, over the last few years. And Monty Williams, who the Pistons paid this offseason at the time of the hiring. He was the highest paid coach ever. I believe there's been at least, I believe there's two since then that have supplanted it now. But at the time, he was the highest paid coach in NBA history. Um, Obviously, the Pistons went for a big splash there and they really want to see some improvement um, this season. But also, they think he's the guy long-term as well. So where I want to start this with, is when Monty took over Phoenix, obviously they the Phoenix Suns weren't very good, um, but then they had that quick uh, run in the bubble. Um, just talk with us about and give us an idea of how much do you believe Monty impacted Phoenix's ability to go from you know around the bottom of the league to what they became?
1: Instrumental. I mean, I think there's no other argument to make, right? But it was two things at once that happened. And... The Suns could not have been more broken and bottom of the bottom when he came, right? Like, they they had tried. I think Devin Booker had at least one coach every season of his NBA career. I think he only had one season where there wasn't a head coaching change outside of his rookie year up until Monty came. Um, Igor Kokoschkov did not work out here, if anyone even remembers that name. And then, obviously, we know now Robert Sarver was not making life easy on anybody in that building. So they needed stability they needed a culture and that was what he prioritized when he got into the building was just you know he went to dinner with Devin Booker he told him that everything the franchise was going to be was about him right like you know it I believe in you you're why I took this job and he went about creating that improving and creating and, and stabilizing that relationship between coach and star player from the very beginning and at the same time, they went a long way toward getting vets in the building, right? So I think that's where it can be a little bit hard to separate. You know, obviously, if you ask me, could Monty have instituted the offensive and defensive improvements that the Suns saw under him in that first year with the talent that Kokoschkov had the previous season, I'm going to tell you no, right? Like, they got Aaron Baines. They got, um, well, they got Aaron Baines, I believe, the, uh, yeah, that season. They got Cam Johnson that season. They got Ricky Rubio that summer in free agency uh, and, and Dario Sharage, So that's four vets who, well, Cam Johnson kind of playing like a vet, stabilizing, floor-raising players. So it was a little bit of both, but Monty made them better the minute he got in the door by developing that culture and having a real scheme on both ends that they could buy into for sure.
0: So th- I think that is it's a, it's a funny parallel because right when the Pistons hired Monty, obviously they didn't do much in free agency, but they did go out and get Joe Harris. They went out and got Monty Morris, and they also kept Boyan Bogdanovich instead of, I mean, at least at this point on the 13th of September, he is still on the Pistons, and it looks like he's going to be on the team this season, so they did keep and acquire some veterans to try to shore up their rotation. Um, mm-hmm. What I want to ask about Monty is this. Uh, the Pistons obviously are a very young team, and at the time when he took over Phoenix Suns, obviously the core of their team was pretty young as well. Devin Booker yeah. was still pretty young. Um just talk about how much he impacted. You talked about the culture. Could you go even further into that, maybe a little deeper, into how he changed what the culture was, what was the culture before, and how he was able to stabilize, it, and what really you know sparked that with him?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it did start with the star player, but I also think that there was a level of, I don't know how much this applies to the Pistons, but I'll just say it. I mean, I think that some of what I was talking about with Sarver and the chaos and the turnover and everything, I think Monty went about, when he got here, he became the face of everything, right? So it's like, if there's player mistakes happening, if there's questions about anything going on on the court, if there's questions about off the court, they had scandal, not scandals, they had like controversy still with guys like Josh Jackson and, different draft picks that were kind of lingering in the background and they had to cut guys and do a bunch of different things as they turned everything over and it was always like he's going to answer every question he's going to be there to kind of be the face of everything and and speak to it so I think from an external like public facing point of view he became that for this team in a way that honestly ended up getting kind of weird at times once they got better because it was just like He didn't feel comfortable in that anymore and whatever but that's you know that that came later um and then i would you know i would just say kind of behind the scenes like i think just having the ability to say like we have these vets and we're going to be able to win i think that goes a long way toward being able to institute that because again it's like you can say you have to play defense to get minutes you can say you have to execute you can say you have to behave behind closed doors and be a good teammate and all those things but when you're losing a lot of that just falls away so it is kind of hard to separate and go through that alternative world where like what would the culture like if be have been like if they had another lottery season the first i mean they were technically a lottery team when he got here but they were you know, the talk of the league after the bubble, what happens if they're not as good? Like, I don't really know, but what ended up happening is they won a lot of games and turned things around and they were able to hold guys accountable in a way because it's like, well, you got to fit into the winning team because now we're a winning team.
0: You know, one of the main things I've, I've heard about Monty since he uh, showed up in Detroit, one of the main things I've read about him, one of the main things that really jumped off the screen mm-hmm. um, when you watch his press conference Um, to me, it seems like he's just like a natural leader yeah. of men, um, especially, you know, helping to get a team like the Pistons. who have a bunch of young men. I saw, um, actually, I saw a video just today from Miles Turner, and he was talking about how he didn't get drafted to Orlando Magics and how he was happy that he didn't go to Miami. Because a lot of fans and a lot of people don't understand that these guys are kids when they're coming into the league. And not only are they having to improve as players, they're trying to grow up. They're mm-hmm. They're immature. They're trying to become, you know, grown men. Um, and that's one of the things that Dwayne Casey was very good at for the Pistons. Yeah. Um, and it felt like the vibe that I got from Monty and the and the things I've read about Monty is he kind of he's kind of from that same, you know, leadership perspective of trying to take he's not just trying to lead you on the court, he's also a part of these guys' lives and trying to yeah. help them grow as humans and have them grow as these young guys that the Pistons have, try to help them grow as young men. Is that something that was apparent in Phoenix as well?
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the biggest ingredient. And you're you're right to bring us there, because I mean, you know, for anybody who's familiar with Christianity and and kind of that walk of life, like servant leadership is a big thing. And and anybody who's a Pistons fan, like you're going to be hearing about this stuff. It's a big part of what he is and what makes him who he is like he you know everybody knows the story or maybe some people don't about the losses that he's experienced in his life with his wife and everything else and the sermon that he gave went viral like it's not every day a coach in sports giving a sermon is like national news but he was that impactful with the things that he said and kind of how he overcame that so you know i he's always been religious but i think he kind of really double down and obviously the other thing about coming to Phoenix was it was his first job after that it was the first time he made himself available for interviews the first time he pursued being a head coach again he went to the front office in San Antonio he was an assistant in Oklahoma or in um, Philadelphia and then came to Phoenix and i think part of making that jump and kind of coming back out of his private life post the the passing of of his wife was to say like i have the skills that i have as a leader and i owe it to myself to try to explore that and so yeah he he definitely went about doing that there's viral speeches from any number of games throughout his time his time here where he's talking to DeAndre Ayton or he's telling Booker in the locker room in the bubble like this happened because of you or he's you know um in the media talking about any number of Moments in his life or connections that he has with guys like Greg Popovich or James Borrego or or different people. So um, that's that's hard to miss. That's hard to not have an impact on people. And especially for a young team, I think that level of seriousness and positivity and kind of just mentality and approach to what the. You know, he always says, like, basketball is a get-to, not a got-to, right? Like, nobody's owed a career. Nobody's owed minutes. Nobody's owed anything. And if if people don't have that approach, I think that they hear about it. You know, they might not get benched. He's not going to make a fool of them. But that is, like, a get-with-it-or-you're-probably-not-going-to-be-long-for-the-team you know, type of mentality for sure. And I think he'll bring that to Detroit.
0: Right, I actually, before we move on, I just want to say one of my favorite moments with Monty, now obviously I'm an outside observer, I don't watch the Phoenix Suns all the time, but one of my favorite moments as an outsider watching the Suns was when they made the finals and Chris Paul goes up to Monty and hugs him and they have like this yeah. emotional moment on the court uh, because yeah. they they were together in uh, New Orleans, was it New Orleans? Yeah, New Orleans, yeah. Um, early in their career and how much it just meant and how close they obviously were, how yeah close and comfortable cp3 felt with monty to have that kind of moment with him mm-hmm. i thought that was pretty cool it was it was pretty cool seeing that um, yeah he,
1: he he has those relationships with everybody you know and they're they're genuine you know when he went to the when he when they won the conference finals in 2021 and, and they're about to go to the finals obviously his first time there as a head coach and everything he brought um fred vincent or not fred vincent what am i saying um I'm spacing on the dude's name. The long Randy Ayers, the coach that he's been mentored by for a long time, had as an assistant in a bunch of spots. And he brought that guy up to do his press conference with him. You know, it's like, it's not an act, it it, it is legit. And and you'll definitely see that, I'm sure, because he brought like his whole coaching staff too. So those relationships are going to stick around.
0: Yeah, he did get to bring a lot of his own guys uh, to Detroit. So it's going to be interesting to see that. The next thing we're going to talk about is. Monty's offensive and defensive philosophies, I I can't wait to talk about that. Um, It's going to be incredibly interesting. Um, Stay tuned for that. But first, I've got to tell you guys, about one of our sponsors, Jace Medical. Everyone should feel confident to take care of themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. Jace handles everything from online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. With Jace Medical's Jace case, you get five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. All you have to do is fill out a simple online form. And in some cases, jump on a quick call with one of their onboard certified physicians. It's doctor created and doctor recommended. Here's a review from a Jace customer named Frank. Quote, I received our package the same day I got a sinus infection and my doctor was out of town. No appointment for days. Thank goodness it arrived. In 2023, with pandemics, shortages, storms, you should be prepared for just about everything. Jace Medical is simple. You go online. Fill out a form and then you get the prescription, life-saving medications right at your door. The Jace case gives you that peace of mind in case of any type of emergency. You can save up to over $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical plus an additional $20 off by using our code LOCKEDON at checkout on JaceMedical.com. That's J-A-S-E Medical.com. Use code LOCKEDON for additional $20 off with your order. So I want to thank you guys again for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. And if you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. That's another great way to support the podcast. Uh, before we dive into Monty Williams' offensive and defensive philosophy, I want to let you guys know again, my listeners, we are returning to four full-time next week, five episodes Monday through Friday. We're back to full-time next week, so you guys stay tuned for that. I know you guys are going to be happy about that. Training camp's around the corner. We're going to be diving into player reviews, season previews, some rumors that are going around training camp, Rico Hines footage. like That's going to be all we're talking about next week. Stay tuned. We're getting ready for the season. It's right around the corner. Can't wait for that. Um, but, Brandon, all right, let's, let's talk about Monty's offensive and defensive schemes, his philosophies, um, all that. One of the main things that made me so – interested in, in the possibility of Monty in the offseason when he was um, when he moved on from the Phoenix Suns was the fact, well one, the Pistons other candidates that they were interviewing I wasn't too high on. Um, but Monty as well, the main comparison I I really drew was the fact that outside of obviously this past half a season when they had KD, um, that team was built around their their contending teams were built around CP three and and Devin Booker, two guards. Um, I don't feel like you see that very often in the NBA. I just tweeted out actually a few days ago, like when's the last time you've seen um, a championship team or win a championship with their two best players being guards. Um, the argument maybe for golden state in 2015, even though I would say Draymond was their second best player. You have to go all the way back to the Detroit bad boys in 1990 yeah. um, uh, with Joe Dumars and Isaiah Thomas. You don't see it often. Uh, and that was the team that Monty had and he was able to take them to the finals. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously in Detroit, they got Cade and Jane Ivey, who seem to be the focal points of their offense. Um, so that was the biggest comparison to me. I thought, okay, he knows how to work with uh, CP3 and D-Book. He's coming over to a team with Cade Cunningham, who I think operates in similar spots to D-Booker. Um, and uh, honestly, a little bit like CP3 as well. But just two guards who are going to be focal point of the offense. Mm-hmm. What were some well, – How can you explain to our listeners just how did he use um, – CP3 and Devin Booker offensively what was some offensive sets was it was it you know just give us an idea of what the offense looked like with CP3 and Devin Booker in Phoenix
1: Yeah I would say the biggest change from the jump was to put Booker off ball in the first place and that came even before Chris Paul got there right but then you know Booker was still really high usage that first year with Ricky Rubio then Chris Paul gets there and I think it honestly settled Monty into more of the offense that he wanted to run you know and Um, I'm, I'm pretty curious. I mean, you would be able to speak to it more than me, how Ivy necessarily fits into it. I've been thinking about it and you came on, you know, the just basketball show and I had my best lineup with Morris and Cade and not Ivy, you know, just in terms of what I know about Monty from year one, how it's going to fit into place the best and maybe where Ivy's not quite ready to be the guy to initiate things every single time. But I mean, from what they do, that standpoint, I think, um, it was a lot just about, how do you build off of a basic pick and roll right how do you have a pre-screen for the big man how do you have something happening on the weak side that involves the gravity of devin booker or a different shooter um to pull the help away you know how are you running maybe an initial screen or a dump off to the elbow or the high post for a big to start initiating and then booker getting into space from there you know they they didn't they did use chris paul as the primary initiator, obviously a ton, but whether it was bench units or after Chris Paul made the first move, you know, guys like Sharic, Dario Sharic, guys like DeAndre Ayton, those dudes were initiators too. I mentioned Aaron Baines a while ago. He, he did that. Frank Kaminsky was on this team not too long ago and, and led to a lot of success for them. So everybody does get to initiate, but it's basically how do you use screens and off-ball movement to build off of just a simple high pick and roll with your center and your point guard. Um, It's not overly like sophisticated in terms of reinventing the wheel, but it is pretty complicated in terms of how much is happening in the half court and guys needing to kind of be in sync and developing chemistry off of that.
0: So I like hearing that. And I watched it. There's a few videos on YouTube that I looked up. As soon as the Pistons hired Monty, I tried to look up Phoenix suns offense and just started like trying to find things. There were a few YouTube videos that actually broke down like, Uh, the year that Phoenix's offense, I believe was like at the top of the league. Um, There were some videos breaking down, like how they went about it. What was their offense Mm -hmm. like? And I watched some of that. Um, So I I was happy to see that they did run a lot of pick and rolls. And I think with Cade and Jalen Duren, that being like your focal point offensively, that pick and roll, I think that could be really lethal. And we kind of heard like how good it was already at team USA camp uh, with how Cade and Duren apparently played Um, obviously uh, if my listeners, if you haven't already, we had Ben Galver on the podcast weeks ago to talk about what Cade looked like at that Team USA camp, and Duran talked very highly of them. Go listen to that if you haven't already. But I'm really interested to see that uh, with Ivy. Ivy, it's going to be really fun to see how Ivy plays this year because at the beginning of the year, he was playing off ball with Cade, and he's a he was actually pretty good off ball and on open catch and shoot threes this past season. He was in the 88th percentile. So he actually is a fine shooter off ball um, and he moves around pretty well off ball as well, cutting wise. So I'm interested to see how they use them both. Um, the question I want to talk about the offense real quick before we move on to the defense, is you kind of mentioned that they initiate a lot of offense or not, maybe, maybe not a lot of it, but some of it through a Deandre Aiden, some of it through a Dario Saric a Frank Kaminsky, all that. Um, Jalen Duren, I think is a tremendous passer for a big man. I, I, We saw a lot of it this past season. I thought we sort of seen more of it in some DHO actions at at the wing, at the high post area. Was that a part of, was that part of, you know, DHOs or trying to get your big man to really utilize his passing? Um, Did Monty utilize that in Phoenix? Did he have the personnel to even do it? Or what what was, did basically, I want to know did he utilize any kind of like passing and playmaking through his big men?
1: Definitely. I mean, uh, and I'll actually jump on the cutting point you made with Ivy a minute ago first because the the first year before Chris got here, this team cut a ton. They actually were really high, not really high, but they were much higher in rim frequency that season, even though you think of that as being something the Suns have struggled with. The first year, it was fine. Guys like Kelly Oubre and Mikael Bridges were getting open shots consistently by cutting and Rubio is such a good passer that it was really working and the bigs were finding those guys too. Um, So I would expect with less of a control freak, and I mean that with all due respect to Chris Paul as the point guard you'll see more of that being emphasized by Monty too so that leads us to the big men stuff and yeah I guess the short answer would be if if he has the talent to do it I think he'll do it and I think big picture with Durin, uh, just to make the point since we're on the topic of it like I think Durin is gonna grow as much as he seizes right like I think early on Monty was totally comfortable with Aiton uh, growing at his own pace. I think that the training wheel started to be put back on for Ayton and there started to be some friction between those two once Aiton showed Monty that he wasn't growing anymore. He was make, regressing in some categories, was not focused in making the best decisions at all times on the court. But if Duran can show and prove and consistently perform at certain skills, whether that's passing, which there will be opportunities to do, or... Other things we can probably talk about on the defensive end, I think Monty will let him do it, but he is a little bit of a, you know, three strikes and you're out type of coach, right? So um, that that's a little bit of an aside, but I think to answer the thing about big men, absolutely. I just think the longer things went on, uh, we the, the Suns just didn't necessarily—we didn't see them use those guys that way because— you know, like two years ago, it was Aiden and JaVale McGee. Those guys aren't passers, right? But when it when he had the personnel, he absolutely took advantage of it.
0: Fair enough. So like you mentioned, let's move on to the defense. This is probably the most interesting area for me because I want to know what the Pistons are going to do defensively, what their schemes are going to be, how aggressive they're going to play defensively. Are they going to play more passive, aggressive? Mm. Are they going to play a lot of drop? Are they going to be switching? Um, because for the first two years of the Pistons' Restore that Troy Weaver calls it they got all they kept getting and kept talking about was the ability to switch 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 and getting players who are capable of guarding multiple positions with Durin after drafting Durin who I I absolutely love I, I I think Durin's gonna be absolutely fantastic um but this past season I thought we saw the Pistons use him in a few different ways defensively to try to get an idea of what he would be most comfortable with you saw sometimes he'd switch you saw him go up and play pretty high in the pick and roll. You see him hedge. Um, but I feel like most of it, you saw him in drop coverage a lot in his rookie season. And he's an 18-year-old. He wasn't good defensively. Most 18-year-olds are not good defensively. Uh, he's going to have to grow in that department. But it was interesting because they didn't. it felt like to me they weren't 100% sure which way they want to go with in yet defensively. What, what's Monty's philosophy defensively? Is he, is he a big drop guy?
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the further we get from it and if if I can be somewhat negative, but you know, we're kind of talking about two different phases of the team, right? Like I definitely think what he did defensively to get this team from awful to good was a lot of credit to him for that. I think as they got better and as we get further away from the approach that he took to their defense, couple of years ago when they made the finals and whatever, uh, and as recently as like three months ago when they lost in the playoffs, uh, is it feels a little bit like kind of, uh, what's the expression? It's not pins and needles. That's what you feel when you're about to pass out or whatever. It's like, uh, it was just kind of cobbled together. I I think that it was a floor-raising defensive approach that lacked the flexibility to really be elite. And some of that's personnel, right? When Jay Crowder is six six and he's playing the four for you, it's hard. But even with Durant, even, you know, again, we talked about with Aiton, and I think the lack of imagination with Aiton that really hurt was more so on the defensive end, right? Like not switching, not hedging, not blitzing, not taking advantage of all the things that make Aiton kind of a unique talent at the center position. I think Monty does deserve a lot of criticism for not, Exploring that stuff enough and preferring sort of that conservative approach, right? Like they're going to Play drop the point of attack defender is going to go over the screen They're going to help aggressively at the nail try to take away the paint that way and live with the results, right? But you put a great big creator like a LeBron or a Giannis or a Luca or whoever uh, Against that scheme and and they're just going to draw fouls at will they're gonna get the matchups they want and they're gonna do whatever, you know, but As far as switching goes, they're going to switch a lot one through four, I would imagine. Um, I don't know who the best point of attack defender on this team is, but typically the Suns, obviously it was Mikhail Bridges, and they tried their best to not necessarily have to switch him until late in the clock and keep that one five pick and roll defense intact uh, and then, you know, switch. The secondary guys are late in the clock, maybe start to switch a little bit more, but try to just defend the pick and roll with those same two guys as often as they could. Um, So yeah, it went a long way with those principles for elevating their floor as a defensive team. Again, that ceiling is, I think, just where you run into some trouble.
0: All right, when we come back, I want to talk about the defense a little bit more and then also talk about Monty as a playoff coach when the Pistons eventually get there as he's obviously going to be their coach, it seems like, for a very long time. We'll talk about that as well, so stay in tune for that. But first, I've got to tell you guys about another one of our sponsors, FanDuel Sportsbook. Lions fans, they won. They beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I hope you guys took the money line over at FanDuel Again, FanDuel has been pretty high on the Detroit Lions. Like I've been telling you guys, they had them as favorites to make the playoffs. They had them as favorites to win 10-plus games. They're, a lot of people are feeling the Lions, man, 1-0. But outside the Lions, you can get ready for the rest of the NFL season all the other NFL teams with the incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use. You can bet on everything from the spreads to player props and more. FanDuel is my favorite place to go. Extremely easy. I can promise you guys it is. You get paid instantly. All that. Absolutely great. So visit FanDuel.com slash on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash on and kick off the NFL season. That's with FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. So I want to thank you guys again for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. And if you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review. On whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on, that's another great way to support the podcast. Um, The last question I want to ask you, Brendan, about defensively, uh, before we move on to Monty as a playoff coach, and then we'll wrap up the podcast, um, is – the, we don't know exactly what the Pistons' starting lineup is going to be. We have a pretty good feeling that it's going to be Boyan and Stu on the wings with Cade, Ivy, and Dern around him. But there's a chance that Asar Thompson takes up and becomes a starting small forward instantly, which is something I think should happen. And we've seen James Edwards the third of The Athletic actually write an article recently saying that it may be more likely than we think. Um, but either way, depending on the lineup that they go with, it could be a really defensive lineup. If they were to go with Asar and Stu, that's not necessarily... An offensive lineup, but it seems to be buying completely in on defense. Um, my thing is, if they were to go with a lineup like that, or if they were to play lineups like that all together, um, I'd like to see this team be pretty aggressive defensively, try to force turnovers and run. Um, with Asar Thompson, who I believe is like a 5th percentile athlete, maybe even higher. Ivy, who's an insane athlete. Kate, who loves to push the break and find guys. Jalen Duren, who's an insane athlete, runs the floor really well. They, Their core guys all love to be in transition. They all love to run, and they have the athleticism now on both sides with Ivy and, and Asar, with Durant trailing or leading them in front of them with Cade orchestrating everything. They have it to where that should be what they do, I feel like. that that's That's what their personnel is. They should try to force turnovers, play aggressive, and get out in transition as much as possible. Is that something that Monty – has done. It sounds like listening to you in the last segment that maybe he plays it a little bit more passive. Uh, do, is he gonna? Do you did you see Monty ever play? Have his team play aggressively defensively like that in the passing lanes or when it comes to forcing turnovers? Your mic's muted. You're all good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think even with the uh, I was letting you do the Fanduel read and then got uh, got carried away. No, I think uh, even with the scheme I was describing, right? It's like they are helping aggressively within the rules, right? So, like, you just look at the the stats, and, like, they were top 10 in turnover rate all four years in terms of how often they were creating them as a defense, you know? And they were top 12 in transition frequency his you know they were around 10th let's say in transition frequency his first three seasons here before last season when injuries and everything just it's impossible to measure anything they were like four different teams last year so a lot of those stats I would take with a grain of salt so like you add that up and I agree like he's going to play to the personnel right like the first season Kelly Oubre is not a Monty Williams player like if you were to put one in a factory right he's struggled with playing team ball no matter where he's gone Charlotte Golden State wherever so but Monty played him because he found out like, okay, Kelly can create steals. Kelly's a great transition scorer. He's a good cutter. Like let's try to maximize what he can be as a player. And yeah, he's going to take some bad threes and do whatever. So I think like you go back to those moments and he's going to play to his strength. He's going to play young guys and try to put them into position to succeed. So I would expect that the athletic guys on this team, whether that is Asar or Jaden or um, Jalen, I think all three of those guys are going to be able to show what makes them special. And if they can prove it, like I said, I think Monty will give them that leeway to to make plays, and that includes on the defensive end. I just think from an aggressiveness standpoint, I would not expect you know switching one through five and Jalen Duran you know is suddenly like trying to contain John Morant with 18 seconds left on the clock or something crazy like that. You know he's not Steve Curry, he's not going to reimagine everything. But yeah, I think that he will take advantage of what makes his team good. And a lot of what you just said is part of what makes the roster good. So you got to do that.
0: I'm happy to hear that basically in your explanation, Monty will adjust his, his scheme to the personnel, not make his personnel just to his scheme. And that was something I feel like was something was an issue, a little bit of an issue. I feel like at times for the Pistons over the last few years, um, And I'm hoping that with Monty Williams um, moving forward, that we see some schemes and see some things on both ends of the floor where it is fitting for the players that, that matter on the team, maybe not fitting for like, you know, the, the, the eighth, ninth, 10th guy in the rotation, but obviously for a Cade for an Asar and Ivy for Duran, doing what's best in their interests that I'm, I'm really interested to see how he plays them on offense, but even more so defensively, to be honest. Um, but let's move on to Monty as a playoff coach real quick, and we'll wrap up the podcast. Mm-hmm. So all these things about Monty, I've heard he's a great leader. Um, I've heard some, have I've heard overall some really good things about Monty Williams. But the one thing that I've heard from Phoenix fans and some people abroad is that when it comes to the playoffs, he leaves some stuff to be desired. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't follow Phoenix enough throughout the playoffs to where I was sitting there trying to analyze Monty as a coach. I was mostly, you know, with the Pistons not being in there usually. We're, we're usually watching for fun. We're trying to just yeah. enjoy our time, you know. Um, so I wasn't watching that intently like that to where I would be analyzing each move he was making, whatever. Um, yeah. Do you feel like that the idea that Monty leaves, little, leaves some more to be desired in the playoffs? Do you think that's a little overblown? Do you think he's okay? What, what's your overall thoughts of him as a playoff coach?
1: Yeah, I think there's two reasons he got fired. I think that there is some stubbornness that I've been, you know, alluding to as we're talking about scheme and and personnel. I think that there is a way that he wants to play and while he is a little bit flexible within that, you know, there is a boundary that he's not necessarily willing to go through and, you know, he sticks to his guns about certain things. There will be, you know, there were guys where it's like why is why is he not getting a chance to play? Why are you not willing to kind of mess with what that lineup could look like or this Change might be able to open up for for this player and things like that, um, and and mentality wise and everything else. Like we don't have to get into all that, but the other reason I think he got fired and it kind of goes in conjunction with it a little bit is uh, not a, not being kind of experimental enough over the course of of a season, over the course of multiple seasons in a row to be prepared for the different types of things that you're going to face. Because we can talk all day about what his philosophies are and what the personnel is and whatever. There's also the element of who are you playing what do you need to do to win a game what do you need to do to win a series right and there were a lot of games over the 4 years he was here that suns fans are just slapping themselves in the face like how are we losing that game again the same exact way how how is that adjustment not being made right and it's, look at what nikola jokic did to this team in the playoffs and i think it's a perfect example look at luka doncic getting whatever switch he wanted over and over uh you know late in the clock of that Dallas series in those you know fight just fist fight type of basketball games that Luca makes his team play right and the Suns just didn't have answers for that and I think you could say okay make the adjustment but if you're not using the whole season you're not using different pockets of the season to experiment and prepare your team to adjust when you need to adjust then you don't even get the luxury of making that adjustment when the time comes right so I think that's where those, those things are where he ran into a wall here. And I think it was the right move to let him go for the point where this team was with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and a new owner and all these expectations you need to win. And you need to know that you have the right guy in place where when the time comes, he's going to make the chess move that he needs to make and deal with the consequences. And it just didn't feel like he was comfortable with the idea of being aggressive, trying something and losing like he wanted to go down his way. Right. And so that's kind of where I come down, but Luckily, like we never thought in Phoenix, we'd be there four years after he got hired and we somehow the team got better and all of a sudden we're watching that all happen. So I don't think it's a problem that should face the Pistons in the immediate future. But yeah, I mean, by the time they're in the postseason or trying to chase a championship, which, you know, you'd hope happens. It's going to be a little bit of a struggle. I think Uh, that's just the reality. He's gotten fired twice now for very similar reasons from New Orleans and Phoenix. Fair enough.
0: Fair enough. We'll, we'll wrap it up there. We ended
1: on a downer note. You, you gave no, me the the, mean, the downer question at the end. I feel I mean, like. mean, we I...
0: have to we have to be honest about things. We have to be. We can't yeah. just be all rainbows and butterflies. We got to be honest about things. Business fans need to know what's coming and the history of everything. So yeah. I appreciate you being very honest about it and giving us fair analysis of it. So appreciate you coming on, Brendan. For yeah. real, all of you guys. You guys want any kind of Phoenix Suns coverage? Head over to Brendan's Twitter, at BrendanClean14, or you can obviously follow him on Locked On Sons on YouTube, whatever podcast platform you are listening to this podcast on. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. Hit that subscribe button at the YouTube channel. Leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. And Until next time, I'll see you guys later. Stay safe. Till next time, peace out.